Listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents Pictures Powwow. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm one of your hosts, Bartek. How are you, Bartek? Good, Ryan. How are you? I'm very well. We are doing our weekly show, Pictures Power, the show in which we are both always spitting and we both have any Polish. That's why we're called Spit and Polish. Mm-hmm. In case you can pick that up, it's a it's a good joke. Yes, and we, we, we punch well, which is a pow, and then we go wow. Yeah, exactly. And we just picture it all happening. So, Bartek, what is Pictures Pow Wow? What do we do? Pictures Pow Wow is the hit new show from Spit and Polish Presents. It is the show in which we recommend movies to each other, or we don't recommend movies sometimes. Yeah, we have other people recommend them. Yes. As threats. And then we talk about whether they're worthy of a recommendation or not. I'm just giving full disclosure. We do have... The recommendation to do, to do Jack and Jill at some point from a listening person, and I'm Ooh. fucking terrified. <laughs> I'm fucking miserable, and I've just seen The Irishman, so it's like, oh, good Al Pacino, and now I'm worried that I'm gonna have to see not Al Pacino but Dunkachino. Mm, yes. I'm, I'm fucking frightened. <laughs> so, whose recommendation is it this time round? Is are we doing Dunkachino? No, we are doing the Pale Face. The Pale Face. Who recommended this? <laughs> it was you, Ryan. It was me. I wanted you to say that. I asked that first. It's like, what are we watching? Who recommended? It? And you're like, we're watching the Pale Face. And then I'm like, is it me who recommended it? Or was it you? Or was it another person who out there is recommending the 1948 Bob Hope Jane Russell classic, The Pale Face? It's me. I recommended it. Me and Slewinski. Bartek, would you recommend that we did this episode alone? Just us two? I would, but, oh, okay. Goodbye, but, guests. <laughs> but, but, but I think we should challenge ourselves. Okay. I'm, I'm up for a challenge if you are. <laughs> Contrary to the belief that I'm not, I am. It was my idea, but I'm not up for it. So, <laughs> who are we joined by? We are joined by the Contrarians from the Contrarians podcast. These are Ju- Julio, I almost said Julio, Julio and Alex. Hello. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Howdy from Texas. Hi. Which one's which? Who's who? <laughs> you can tell. All well, right, who? Alex, good one. <laughs> now drop the accent. <laughs> Get Julio up here. They said howdy. <laughs> they said howdy. You know that they're. You know that they're from Texas. We should have said g'day. Yeah, we should have said g'day. G'day, g'day. <laughs> g'day. Uh, g'day. <laughs> the greatest female oh, character Simon, ever. Oh, Simon, you know what I mean. Yeah. So, contrarians. Tell us about your... Wait, real quick, Jamee, was that a Summer High tie reference? Yeah, she's an icon down here. She was in three or four shows. She was in Tremendous. a show I, called... I was, she was in three, yeah, yeah. She, there was a show before Summer Heights High that was actually really popular down here called... Uh, we Can Be Heroes. We Can Be Heroes, and that's where she first started. That's actually heavily referenced in Summer Heights High. Yeah. And then she had her own show. So yeah. that's, was that's, that's the Chris Lilly universe. Yeah, Angry Boys was a... I was a massive fan of that show. Oh yeah, the the two deaf no boys in that. About. Oh, Chris Lilly, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Is this is this wrestling? 
<laughs> yeah, no, no, man. Australian comedy or wrestling in the outback. Yeah. Uh, yeah wrestling, <laughs> whether or not a show should have blackface or not. Still, uh, Angry Boys. That show, Angry Boys, had two characters. The deaf, uh, the, the deaf twins, twin, yeah. the deaf twin was in their first, the first show, We Can Be Heroes. Yeah. The, the whole point of We Can Be Heroes is we have a thing called Australian of the Year. And that show was all about five weird contestants. And one of them, the non-deaf one, was gonna donate his like eardrum ear to the deaf so, one. So Bartek Yes did did Alex or Julio win Australian of the Year? I think so. <laughs> good, good. Because <laughs> I want to know more about these guys, who who they are, what their podcast is. Have we guessed it on it before? We I don't have, know. Have we? Okay. Yes, and I believe they are the Americans I was gonna, of the Year. I was gonna ask them that information but you can tell me about this. <laughs> you were looking show. at me you weren't looking at texas <laughs> oh, i'm sorry i should look at a country across the world from me it's a state but at yeah. the center of the world texas is its own country man so guys tell that, us about true. your show and who you are tell us your journey to take down the rotten tomato system uh well uh who we are we are uh the contrarians we rage against the rotten tomato machine as you you said uh, it's uh, basically a, a little bit like your underappreciated masterpieces uh, show that you guys used to do, yep. except that we are uh, we don't usually love the movies that we talk about, even when we talk about them uh, positively. Oh, so we you're jerks. That's okay. either <laughs> Some people may think so. No, <laughs> we take a movie that's either fresh or rotten, according to Rotten Tomatoes, and we argue the opposite. So if a movie's fresh, the first half of our show is where we talk about everything that's wrong with that movie. Uh, and if the movie's rotten, we do the opposite. We talk about everything that's fresh on it. And then on the second half of the show, uh, Real Talk, we tell you how we really feel. Sometimes it matches, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but it, all, it all comes from a place. Julio and I used to work together at a movie theater, and it comes from a place of he and I would get equally as annoyed with both patrons and fellow co-workers when they relied on Rotten Tomatoes as some source of truth. Mm -hmm. And basically founded this with the idea of you can you can find a negative in anything if you want to and you can also be over the moon about anything if you want to it's just all about your uh perspective and living the life of a pro professional contrarian because go figure you know art is uh subjective <laughs> and, <laughs> unless and unless it does not hold the truth Unless it's Marvel, then it's not cinema. So, uh... Confirmed. <laughs> confirmed. I can confirm. Uh, it's not cinema. Take that, James Gunn. So, what is one of the movies that you guys have covered that you got a lot of pushback for, would you say? What are some of these movies that, you know, you've come in on and people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How could you talk about Christmas with the cranks like that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, well y'all are literally the only person that have given us pushback about Christmas with the Cranks. And Johnny you Mnemonic. Are alone yeah. in the world. <laughs> Johnny Mnemonic. And Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. No. Uh... Jaws was the first big one we did that I think a lot of people that didn't understand our gimmick, for lack of a better term, were like, how can you trash Jaws? <laughs> it's like well, you should like this. <laughs> it's, it's really easy. It's as Julio said. It's anti-shark propaganda. Yeah, it's uh, more recently. I mean, the the Nightmare on Elm Street episode kind of got oh. people riled up. Yeah, for, yeah. For two reasons. One, because in Contrarian's Corner, in the first half of the show, you know, it's a fresh movie, so we trashed it in the first half of the show, and then the second half of the show, 
I actually didn't like it. <laughs> so oh, I trashed it again. It was much, true. Much to Alex's dismay. Oh. It's actually funny. Uh, or j- literally just today, someone texted me. They went back and listened to our face-off episode, and they're like, I was getting so pissed with y'all breaking it down, all the holes in it. And then I listened to it, and I was like, my God, they're right. I've been living a lie. <laughs> yeah, we do the we did the exact same when we did Unappreciated Masterpieces, in which we just kind of went, hey, you know, Big Fat Liar has a lot more merit than people want to give it. Did Paul Giamatti deserve a Razzie nomination? Hell no. Shining got a Razzie nomination. Did that deserve it? No, thanks. So... We covered for this episode the pale face. Um, we are going to cover. Well, we are covering. We're going to. We covered it. We're done. Thanks for joining us. We're recording no. this after the episode. So, <laughs> by the well, time they're listening to this, it has been covered. It has been covered. This is in the past now. So, for the listening people who have not seen it, we're going to be talking about it uh, in depth. We're going to mention all the plots and stuff. So, if you haven't seen it, go away. Come back. Watch it. It's a fun time. It's it's short. Um, it's old, it's fun, you know, it's, you know, come back, give it a listen, give us a listen, or if you're not caring, we're just going to talk about what happened. So, brief summary, just to kind of get that out of the way of the plot, is this is kind of a satire on the Virginian, uh, classic western. So, basically, Jane Russell, Calamity Jane, is hired by the government to stop um, some people funneling weapons to the Native Americans and she has to partner up with someone but that someone died so she gets a patsy who is Bob Hope to come join her without knowing and he accidentally becomes the hero of the West and hilarity ensues. That's kind of the basic plot of it and you just have Bob Bob Hope there. Go on. Do we want to do we want to explain the crossover or the the correlation between this and the episode y'all guested for? Yes, we will. Our, our theme. Okay. <laughs> the, the the theme I... that this is the same director. So <laughs> we guested on the Contrarian podcast a little while back. We did the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, the yes. also nineteen forty eight movie, I think, right or nineteen forty six? Thereabouts. Forty seven. Forty seven. Let's call it a day yeah, and say forty nine. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was by the, the same director of this movie and uh, some comedic beats. Not, I wouldn't even say similar, but just kind of like this 1940s, 50s era comedy stylings in which you have a comedic actor, stand-up comedian, just kind of having an excuse to be in a movie and just kind of riff and do gags and there's like loose plotting. Walter Mitty, I guess mm-hmm. you could argue, has more plots because it's surreal but this one has more plot in terms of a three-act structure narrative and it's a genre piece Mm. like this is a western Mm -hmm. pretty simple i guess both sort of have elements like a conspiracy going on yeah Yeah. um so that's our kind of connection i chose this movie to do it with you guys because when we were on your show, we talked about this era of comedy and how I kind of preferred this film over Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I think the direction and some of the stuff was a little bit more fine-tuned. While in Walter Mitty, there's a few more kind of sloppy elements, but also some really praiseworthy elements. So I was like, well, we talked about Pale Face, but how about we actually get these guys to watch it? Because I don't believe that you guys would have watched it after I talked about it. Did you tell us your history with this movie? Do you have one? I, I, I had never seen it. I like Bob Hope. Uh, so, so we do this podcast called The Contrarians. <laughs> and we invited these two Australian podcasters. And one of them recommended The Pale Face. That's yeah. pretty much the history. I, 
honestly, this is I don't know about you, Alex. This is my first Bob Hope movie, my first Jane Russell movie. First Bob Hope. I think it's as far as wow. Yeah. yeah. As far as I don't know. I grew up in America, which Julio did not. <laughs> if you can't tell by the accent, but well, uh, I Bob thought Hope you is... were the one from another country. Wow, I'm really thrown <laughs> off now. <laughs> I also didn't grow up. Well, I am America. from Texas, so I'm technically not from America. I'm from Texas. <laughs> yeah, you're but, right. Uh, it succeeded. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it, Bob Hope, especially in the, you know, the time period I grew up in, was the America's Granddad type thing. So I, I'm very familiar with him, but I had never seen this movie before. Uh, and I'm okay. Truthfully speaking, glad it was recommended. I had a lark of a time. <laughs> yeah, it's lark. Kind of a, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a kind of movie that I I definitely I need a push to watch it. I I'm generally and I think I might have mentioned it um, when we did our episode, uh, the Walter Mitty episode. I I have a a bit of a hard time getting into like the classics, like movies from this era, because it feels a little intimidating. I have to kind of adjust my expectations because the type of comedy is is different, the type of acting is different to what we're used to right now. So I have to really reset. All, all yeah. everything that I expect from a movie. You have to adjust. So like, yeah, I need to adjust it so I can just enjoy it the way that it's meant to be enjoyed. Especially yeah. with the genre that we're doing, which is comedy. Comedy, you know, there's some of the basic elements here that are still universal and uh, timeless, and then there's some that, you know, I wouldn't say aren't still done. I mean, the one thing that probably isn't still done in comedies that is done in this movie is a script. Um, this one has one. Um, <laughs> there's obviously ad-libbing going on throughout the whole movie, but you can tell there's a say, script. I, I got the feeling that Bob Hope was just running his mouth the entire time. And it's worth it. <laughs> but still, yeah, even then, like, you know, they keep it tight and they right. don't just let him riff for 10 minutes at a time. Right, they pick the one joke and yeah. then they edited everything out. So, so that's that's welcome. Bartek, what about you? What's your history with The Pale Face? Well, Ryan, I'm an artist. Okay. And back in 2014, I was going to do a Western play with yourself and a few others. Yes, for university, yes. Yes, and we wanted it to be a play that was inspired by, you know, the basic stories that Westerns tell, but also more comedic types of Westerns. Yeah. And someone in the group, I believe it was Ryan... Me? <laughs> ...lent out different Western DVDs to everyone in the group, and the one that I got was The Pale Face. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I and I watched it back then, 2014, enjoyed it, and now I'm back here again to see it a second time and talk about it for reals. So that's fair. My history with this movie is I grew up with this movie. Uh, my parents are big Bob Hope fans, especially my dad. Um, I grew up with Bob Hope movies, a lot, a lot of them. The 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 ones that stand out are uh, The Pale Face and The Princess and the Pirate. Those are two that stand out, and. We had a VHS copy of this that was recorded when it was being played on TV, so it had all the old ads included. And nice. I was just saying to Bartek, uh, I had watched this movie more times on the old videotape than I've watched it since I've owned it on DVD for the last, like, nine years. Because I just watched <laughs> it so much. I would watch the ads, and it would just be, like, funny to watch these old ads and see how some things have and haven't changed. But... The core thing is, this movie is very special to me. This is one of those movies that I, no matter, and we all have a movie like this, or a piece of media, music, TV show, whatever, in which no matter what mood you're in, if you're really sad, if you're really angry, whatever, this is a pick-me-up type movie. This movie, I can watch this 
and it will automatically wipe away whatever negativity I have and just put me back into that world of innocence and love and happiness and, and joy that I experienced when I watched it for the first time and numerous times. And it just kind of, for me, is a comfort movie, as well as me being a big fan of comedy, especially in, in movies as well. Uh, seeing the art of comedy and how it's implemented ex with expertise in this movie, in my opinion. And I find most of it pretty much ages pretty well, considering also it's a genre piece about the Old West. And a lot of these gags and jokes are still unique and fun. And, uh, you know, you also see with it how a lot of comedians and filmmakers have gotten a lot from this movie. Like, you watch this movie and you're like, if they made this in 1980, in the 1980s, it would have been Chevy Chase as Paleface. He would have been. And Chevy Chase has stated that Bob Hope is the guy that he emulates. And you just see like, yep, 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 yep. I was saying to Bartek before we recorded, if we had to remake this yeah, today, I could think of so many people for, for Jane Russell. I'm struggling to find like an A-lister, like someone like Bob Hope was, to play Potter. Because a lot of comedian comedic actors I think of play more douchebags than just out-and-out -out cowards, which is what Bob Hope is in this movie. He's a coward. Um, mm. So that's my history with this movie. And I recommended it for this because we've been away from the podcast for a while. I wanted to have some guests. And like I said, you guys, we talked about it on your podcast. But also, since our new format, I haven't had the chance to really talk about some of my top movies. And this is definitely, for just pure comedy, this is probably my number one comedy for just pure comedy. And then... Oh, wow. I love wow. planes, trains, and automobiles, but that gives me more than just comedy. That gives me a lot of emotions as well, like of a different variety. But for just pure comedy, this is my go-to. Yeah, I thought you, I thought I remember you saying that sometime a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. This is how much this movie means to me. So I was like, let's put it on the list and give it to people who haven't seen it before. All right, let me let me take off then uh, of my notes, like all the negatives that I found in the movie. <laughs> No, there's negatives, of course. We have to discuss. With every movie, there's always well, negatives. I was about to say, there's there's the uh, slightly problematic portrayal of Native, Ameri of Native Americans. <laughs> well, but... we'll get into that because I was actually having a heated discussion about this with my parents because I was like talking to them. And I'm like, Ooh. oh, I've, I'm going to have to talk about the, the, the racism discussion and got heated. But uh, Bartek, for you having to revisit it, how did you feel? Yeah, it felt like I was seeing... An old acquaintance again that I really enjoyed my experience with. Were there any moments that stood out to you? Anything funny that really resonated with you? A couple of the funny bits in this film uh, were a bit more expected because you've you've mentioned them a few <laughs> times throughout the years. Like the whole when he's leaving the bar to do the fight and he's getting advice from people and he's mixing them up. <laughs> yeah. um, you always, always talk about the shaving scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mean... Yeah, 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 yeah. The one with the arrows. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> it was funny to see that again because I've heard so much about it since I've seen it. Um, yeah, just I, ju I just remembered Bob Hope being the big thing about the film when I watched it the first time and seeing it again. Uh, he was there because re our previous episode that we've done on Pictures Power was on the Pink Panther from 1963. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we were saying was that uh, as great as Peter Sellers was, he wasn't in it as much as you know other characters. But in this film, the equivalent is Bob Hope, and he's all the way through pretty I much. I mean, it takes 15 minutes to get to him, after, but we get yeah, him. <laughs> after those 15 minutes, though, you got him. Um, just to ask you some more questions, Bartek. Mm -hmm. um, did, you did you find this funny 
as a movie? Did you still find it funny even though it's a movie from back in the day? Because you're not really acquainted with this era of comedy either. No, I'm not. But just like uh, just like multimedia, I feel there's like a sort of timeless element to it. Like the language isn't so different today, like, you know, Shakespearean, Old mm. English or anything like that. It's all comprehensive, the just pure comedy, as you were saying, I guess. And the datedness, for me, doesn't truly factor in as strongly as, say, World of Midi, where World of Midi was set in the contemporary day of 1948, uh, the 1940s, while That's this is true, set yeah. in the, you know, in the West, that in was, the yeah, olden, olden days of frontier the days, was made. even though you have the anachronism of Bob Hope being very, like, modern and being like, hey, I'm not taking this too seriously. All right, what about you guys? How did you guys feel going into this movie, uh, not knowing too much about it? And did you guys find it funny? Julio? Oh, well, I, I thought we were saving myself for last since I think that I'm going to be the most negative take. Okay, that's fine. Then <laughs> I'll lead negative. off with it. And uh, number one, it's 90 minutes, so I'm never going to be mad about going into a 90-minute movie. Uh, two, uh, like I said... Knowing Bob Hope and enjoying what I had seen up until this point, I was pretty excited about it. And um, I've mentioned on our podcast before, and I think even on the Walter Mitty one I might have mentioned, I so very much get off on watching these old movies with the clearly giant sound stages and big production sets built. It's just such an invigorating the thing to watch. Yeah, matte paintings and rear projections. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Yes, because it's such a lost. It, it doesn't happen anymore. Um, and as far as the plot goes, it's simple. It's easy to follow. As far as the laughs, there were two moments in particular that I like audibly like belly laughed. And uh, one of them was the following the shaving scene where he's in the barrel and he's trying to shoot at the Indians <laughs> and his guns pointed straight down at the ground and he's firing it. And then um, yeah, the second part that that killed me was uh when he nails a he puts a nail on the door of his hotel room and hangs the sign that says beware mad dog on it. <laughs> i thought that was just absolutely fantastic yeah um, it's one of those things too we i god i love so much these old movies where the climax happens and then the movie's over within 90 seconds i, I just absolutely love it would you say, because so, we talked about this with Secret Life of Meaning, I don't want to harp on that, but we found the ending of that way more abrupt. Did you find it as abrupt or too abrupt in this movie? No, it's it's not abrupt. It just ends the way it should, you know, and they get married. And uh, also, one thing I mentioned to Julio before we got on the line with y'all was uh, I, I don't know of a movie from the 40s, or at least I'd never heard of a movie from the 40s that breaks the fourth wall like this movie does to conclude. Well, you and need I to watch more was... Bob Hope movies. <laughs> that's, the, that's the answer to that. That's the answer to that. Uh, you would love Son of Paleface. That... Son of Paleface would be your jam if you liked some fourth wall breaks. That that one has the very beginning, that... just Bob Hope and his girlfriend, like he's the son of Paleface, he's like coming out of Harvard, and he's talking to his girlfriend, and the movie just pauses, and Bob Hope just goes, See that charming young lady there? That's this actress. It just tells you. And then, and see the back of that gentleman's lovely head? You should see the front. That's my face. And just kind of directs you on like, this is this is me. I'm in the movie too. Or Princess and the Pirate. It has this text crawl. It's like this murderous captain hook pirate like who's murdering everyone. And then a little bubble appears on the screen with Bob Hope's face in it. And he just goes, don't worry, folks. That's not me. I come in later. I play an utter coward. So you need to just watch more Bob Hope. 
So that's fair enough. It's it it, it caught me off guard, uh, and yeah, the the final joke is great too, where she gets dragged away. But uh, <laughs> not to steal your thunder, Ryan, or transition. But I think uh, Julio's over here seething. He's ready to just, <laughs> he's ready to just unload. Julio. Okay, let's hear the let's hear from you, Julio. How was how was your experience going into this? Did you enjoy yourself? Did I, you find it funny? I found it fine. It was a pleasant movie. It was no, it was it was good. I. I think that I had, uh, I mean, I, I had a couple of good laughs and then just mostly chuckles throughout. Uh, I, I liked, I found myself liking Bob Hope, Bob Hope a lot more before he became uh, uh, an actual cowboy. When he started just trotting well, around, that's I didn't point. find him as funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. But I, I'm saying that I found him funnier before oh, yeah, he yeah. started putting on the airs. Uh, I mean, there's... I really laughed. I laughed really hard when uh, right after he he thinks he's killed like all these uh, Native Americans, and he's like, "Well, I'd like to say some words." And then somebody goes like, "We need to get out of here before they come back." And he's like, "That's, That's what I wanted to say." Or something. <laughs> <laughs> he just leaves. And then uh, also, like Barton mentioned, the whole sequence where he's heading to the duel. And people keep giving him different uh, bits of <laughs> yeah. advice, and he keeps like trying to remember them. And then, of course, he he gets them all mixed up as the as the sequence goes on. Yeah, that was also really funny. Um, but you, you know, for the most part, it, it was go, go on. Oh, I was say for the most part, it was it, it, was, it was a pleasant movie. Yeah. I, but you know, it was not like I, I was not bursting out laughing uh, all the time. It was just it was just good. You know, uh, I I think that. It definitely was enough to hook me to to see to want to see more uh, want to watch more Bob Hope stuff. Mm. Uh, I definitely enjoy the Jane Russell character. Yes, uh, Calamity she's Jane. A badass. Yeah, she's going hot back as shit to too. Uh, <laughs> yes, but yeah, going back to the to the uh, there's a little no bit lie of a, there. The Walter Mitty discussion that we had, you know, I had that problem with the with the female character there, where I kind of felt that she was there just to so that he would have somebody to fall in love with, and here. It was a complete opposite where Jane Russell seemed to have a very – she had an agenda. She had goals. She was uh, – That first it, scene where she comes out of the bath with the, the two pistols loaded and just, te- like, <laughs> fires off on those dudes. I was like, holy shit, what a badass. She yeah, she's, is she's great. Amazing. I love her. That image of her in the, like, you know, pantaloons and whatnot, Camilla's job, being like, looking for me, fellas, and just, like, shoots them all. And it's just like, not only is that badass, it's just, like – that vintage hot. Like, that image is just like, now see, see, now this is how the old movies just showed you. Now this is just, this is just hot. Uh, let's me. I'm just like, there's nothing. We need, we need more Jane Russell and Pendleton shooting guys and then just being like cold-blooded about it. Like, no remorse. Just, I've just murdered like four guys. But, see, and that's, that's where the movie kind of falters for me because after establishing how strong she is, I did not buy for a second that she would have real feelings for Bob Hope. Okay. So when when like at, at the at the end when like the turn is that you know they're both captured and she's like, you know what I love you, <laughs> I I didn't see it coming. I I totally buy that she would have. I, I thought it was actually really cool that at one point in the story she's she's just using him and she's more than willing to sacrifice him to, yeah. to achieve her goals. And I was and and I I knew that the turn was coming where she was going to kind of find her humanity and realize well I can't do that, and uh, but. That's one thing. Falling in love with him, it's a completely different thing. So I, I had yeah. trouble with that that little turn of the plot. And, of course, you know, 
that leading to them getting married. It was just it was too well. Much I mean, they were already me. married so technically. It, it they, the they were already married in that point in the movie. It's just at the end, right, where they have the honeymoon. I think that's just like their little like way of just being like, yeah, see, they all ended happy. I get what you're saying about the, the romance. Not, not annulling their marriage. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I get what you're saying about the romance. It's one of these things. I, I, of course, me growing up with this, I don't mind it. I think it could be stronger, but at the same time, with a movie like this, you just want it to be funnier. Like, you just want it to be more funny than the, like, soapy romance that they had in a lot of these movies. Like, in the second one, it has way more romance. There's a, there's a freaking love triangle in it. So, uh, and there's a horse involved. But, um... <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Roy Rogers right. horse trigger. Um, cock blocks Bob Hope at every turn. But I get what you're saying with, with that aspect of the movie. But I think, you know, like, it is just that cheesy like it's a it's a base comedy romance where it's like this isn't about their great romance like yeah you need her to turn and be more kind and sympathetic i don't think that she betrayed her character by showing love too much it didn't feel like too much of a betrayal it just felt like yeah you could have spent more time on this if you really wanted but at the same time i just want to see more bob hope being a dentist you know (laughs) that's 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 kind of what i'm here for I, I can agree with the whole notion of, you know, spending more time on it, but I, I can buy the fact simply because it's it feels like this is the first time she's really spent a lot of time with you mm. know, such a normal man and seeing, like, his positives and negatives. And she's, you know, he's completely... He's, he's dumb, and he's selfish, and he's cowardice, but she also sees throughout the journey of the movie that he is a, as as much of a snake as he is. He's actually a pretty genuine guy, mm. and he's actually a pretty a good guy, even though he's got these cowed like tendencies. And when he gets inflated, his ego of being this cowboy, that is when you just see like, oh right, this is the kind of guy. If you give this type of power to him, he's just <laughs> gonna be drunk on power, and that's not yeah. great. So Jane Russell has to take it back from him eventually. But then, as, of... as soon as he puts up like the beware mad dog sign, he's back to normal <laughs> well somewhat somewhat <laughs> because then he she wants him again um one of my favorite comedic scenes just to talk about is his introduction as the dentist and that whole sequence every moment in it is fantastic one of the things i like is just a simple thing of costume design is his bow tie is a clip-on bow tie and it's just too small like it's but not comedically to the point of too obvious of a gag but when you look at it it's annoyingly just a little bit too small just to add to this he's such a schmo as he calls himself and when he's going over that cowboy and the cowboy guy like swallows his clip-on bow tie (laughs) and he gets it out of his mouth and he's like i have one just like it (laughs) just like (laughs) the idea that he thinks that this guy has in his mouth a similar bow tie not his just some bow ties just in this guy's mouth the whole gag of that scene of like you have many you have the fact that he's clearly not knowing what to do as a dentist and he's like reading the manual i love the manual bit and he rips out the page when the guy's correct and but the big thing is i love the the laughing gas and how that's implemented and how he's accidentally sniffing it and then i'm purposely sniffing it and the whole comedic joy of him ripping out the wrong tooth and these two having what would be a threatening altercation but they're laughing and being so (laughs) joyous about it and one of my favorite li- one of my favorite quips is just like I'm gonna give you 15 minutes to get out of town. <laughs> I was like, the last time gave me 20, and he's just like punches him. He goes over <laughs> the thing. Bob Hope is cracking so many jokes in this movie. He's just gunfire, gunfire, gunfire. Like 
And the humor for me, like I said, I've grew up with, grown up with this movie. So a lot of this is just ingratiated itself into my life. Like these are jokes that I make in life. There's a joke that in my brain, I don't remember it. But when I see it happen on screen, I'm like, oh, here it is. When we were talking about before, when he wants to give that speech after he's killed all the Native Americans... There's this old guy who's just like, here, son, you can have my gun. And yeah. just he casually just goes, thanks. And he just goes, thanks, dad. Just like, oh, yeah, and, I've, son. and I've done that in life so many times when people have called me son and then not my dad. I'm like, oh, thanks, dad. And just stuff like that. And it's just like these little nuggets like that or classic lines like brave men run in my family. And he just says it so casually. And you're like, yeah, I bet they do. Um, I love the play on words of, uh, or not, not a play on words, but just the uh, extreme of the cliche when he's at the bar and <laughs> give me four fingers of uh, whatever the liquor is, and then he and a thumb and downs the whole thing. Like, yeah, there's uh, so there's there's a moment that speaking of that dentist sequence at the beginning, I mean, uh, that's that's the movie stopping so Bob Hope can can just do his thing, which is great because he, he does it really well. Uh, and I was honestly, because that's his introduction, I thought the movie was going to be a lot more of that where we we're going to have to, like, the story was going to move along and then we we're going to stop so that he would do something. Yeah. Uh, but I can't really think of another sequence in the movie that's specifically just Bob Hope kind of putting on a show while the story stops. Maybe the, that's the maybe, brilliance of it. It's his introduction. Yeah, it's his intro. We get the understanding of he's slimy, he's dumb, he's a coward, he's opportunistic, he's he, also the meat cute, obviously, they meet each other. And, um, you know, all of these things, and he's a bit of a scoundrel. You do get another scene, like we said, the shaving scene, that's just kind of classic Bob Hope, like hijinks of like, who fires arrows? Cupid? No, that's too silly. <laughs> William Tell? No, silly. No apple. And of course, you get his song. Of course, buttons and bows. The Oscar-winning song that beat that's out. Um, my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, here's something too. With all these old movies, even Son of Paleface gets this wrong. This movie has songs in it, only two, and they work great. Even though the second song is lesser, even though that song's great because it's her talking about what a whore she is. Because uh, she's talking about working on the corner, any old corner, to get any old guy at any old time of day. Um, the songs fit into the narrative. They're not just like, it's a musical. It's Now it's just like, this character is just singing and they're doing it because they're on a long trip to nowhere in particular. So he's just going to whip out his little accordion thing, sing buttons and bows. It's going to be cute. And then later you have the woman at the bar singing the song to entertain everyone. There you go. It's just natural songs. Well, in other movies, even the son of Paleface, it just is a musical for no apparent reason other than we've got to fill Shoe-horned. out time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was our big complaint with the previous episode. Yeah. Bartek. Yes. Um, what did you think of Buttons and Bows as a song? <coughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a cute song. I liked it. Did it deserve an Oscar over the Woody Woodpecker theme? Because it did. How does the Woody Woodpecker thing go again? I can't remember, but it. <laughs> well, then there you go. Take care. I remember how <laughs> I remember how something I've heard goes, but not something I haven't heard probably goes. <laughs> yeah, I love buttons and bows. Uh, fun fact for you two, uh, for you three, I guess. Uh, all of you, <laughs> Li- all three listening. Fun fact people. for you two, Ryan. Okay, at my wedding, when we f- finished it all and we walked out of the venue, uh, a walking out song was buttons and bows. Oh. 
the Bob Hope. Nice. That's adorable. The Bob Hope version, because there's one by <laughs> Diana Shaw, and then eventually the Andrew sisters. Um, and then you went outside. Not the Jay Z version. Right? The Jay Z version would be amazing. I'd love Snoop Dogg's take. Um, <laughs> yeah, or LL Cool J. Some some bitches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know that song means a lot. I love it. I love. You know what I love about that song too? It's also funny because there comes that point when he's speaking really quickly, like he's getting every word out, <laughs> and he drains the entire accordion and As he has to breath. pull it all the way back out. And it's just a simple thing. Yeah. You didn't need it there, but it adds to it because it makes it comedic. It makes it a comedic thing. So, how did you guys feel about the two musical numbers? Did you think they were integrated well into it, or did you kind of feel like, oh, here we go, it's that old movie cliche where we've got to have them sing? And did you like so them both? Yeah, for for my my take, I obviously can't speak for my Peruvian counterpart, but for me, it's um, a lot of these older movies you watch and that you know, Sound of Music, things like that. It it feels like it's just they're the movie is just a bunch of bridges to the next musical number with this. It just, it seems like they just came up and it was part of the story and it was fine. And that's, that that's always my personal struggle with uh, musicals in particular and, and um, movies in general that feature original songs that are sang by the actors is the, the dichotomy and the balance between the two of incorporating them into the story to where it doesn't feel forced. It just feels like it's part of it. And I thought this movie did that just fine. Like when they came up, it felt like it was the natural progression of the movie. Yeah. And did you enjoy yeah, the it, songs? I Yeah. Buttons and Bows is an adorable little ditty. I, <laughs> I, I absolutely loved it. And the the saloon too, the the songs that uh are sang there, I Yeah, they they match the tone of the movie, the time period it's set in, the characters that sing them. It it all makes sense. Yeah. It, for that, I enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big musical fan, so I more so, far more so than Alex. <laughs> so yes. I have no problem with, with uh, characters breaking into song, um, but I, I think, I mean, I just said it, the the Bob Hope song is easily my, my favorite part of the movie. It, it's just so... It's not just that it's really cute, but it was, it was such a nice character moment for him because mm. up till then... He's been just kind of an idiot and, you know, kind of a weasel. And But here it's just him. You get to see a very sympathetic side of him. Yeah. He's just, well, this is life now, and I'm just singing. And, and it, puts you as e it puts you at ease as a viewer, too, because of how relaxed he is. And oh, like yeah. The sun's setting on him and everything. Yeah, it, it really yeah. helps. And, and you have those cutaways to Jane Russell, which I think helps a lot. This is the one moment where I would say I can buy some sort of chemistry between them. You know, I think if we had like a few more things like this throughout the movie, I would be able to buy more the the, mm. the final uh, declaration of love. But here, you know, you can see that she's she doesn't dislike it. You know, yeah. he's singing and she's like, "All right, <laughs> I can put up." It eventually puts her to sleep, if I remember correctly. I thought she was asleep. At right? The whole yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's but... awake at the start and it right. kind of gently guides her to sleep because he's doing it for her. Yeah. Um. I also like there's a dramatic, if I'm correct, uh, the dramatic irony there of he's singing this song while they're slowly going towards their demise in Indian country because they've been <laughs> taken off track because he's an idiot. Yeah. Um, so there's like that dramatic <laughs> irony there too of, oh, he's leading these people to die accidentally, but it's his fault still. And then, you know, it all goes into the snowball effect of him accidentally being misconstrued into hero. Here's the thing about this movie. He's a coward. He's deplorable. 
but there's a charm there because Bob Hope's charming. But I think one of the things that makes it is when you get to that point when he accidentally becomes a hero, what makes it work for me, and I think a lot of modern comedies could probably fall on this, is he genuinely believes it. Mm. He isn't aware that he's a liar. He isn't manipulating anyone in that regard. He genuinely was like, wow, I didn't know I had this in me. And then eventually that becomes an ego trip, but not in a too toxic way, in a cartoony way when... Is this one line that just cracks me because the voice he used where he's like, he dumb plum riled me. And it's like this weird, really deep fake cowboy <laughs> voice. And it's just like so odd. Or, And every time he has a big ego boost, they just knock him down. He has a drink and he can barely handle it. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like, is that all you got? Nothing stronger, huh? But he believes that because he is supposedly a hero, he should be able to take it. So he yeah, exactly. acts like he can. There's, there's something wonderful about the comedic performance from Bob Hope of... And the movie, just knowing this is when we stop him from going too overboard of being an egotist. And this is when we knock him down a peg. We always know that we have to knock him down a peg so that the audience can still relate to him. Of course, you have the moment in which he has to decide whether he's going to be a man or a mouse. And he has his inner conscious talking to him to tell him to go back and save her and not be a coward. That's like his big moment and he actually does it. Uh, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Any other so, comedy uh, I, moments? I just remember oh, my, my... I was going to say, I just remember my other big laugh-out-loud moment is uh, right after when she asks him to, to go... Um, hide in the in the morgue for find out you know who's who's picking up the, At the, the undertakers yeah yeah and uh, <laughs> and the old guy the black was he a blacksmith the old guy that the undertaker killed right uh, oh oh yeah the old yeah, the, blacksmith guy he, yeah yeah no yeah the blacksmith the right? oh yeah like, her, her <laughs> yeah. contact and he's just like dead on the floor and he bob hope sees him and he's like who's this guy somebody else that you kiss well he first like <laughs> greets him he's like hey i'll t- i'll catch you up later and he's like oh wait who's this he had an uh, appropriately big uh, reaction yeah yeah he yeah, was appropriately big and she I... just kept it vague as shit she's like ah and he's like who is this somebody kiss because of course the running gag is every time he thinks he, he kisses her or he thinks he kisses her. He gets knocked on the back of the head and he sees stars. And then you have the gag at the end when he actually gets a real kiss from her. And he's like looking around for no where stars. the stars. <laughs> and it's a nice little my, moment. Uh, Go on. Yeah. My favorite reoccurring uh, gag throughout the movie is every time he talks about how many Indians he killed, the number <laughs> yes. raises. And she's yes. always there to bring him back down. And that's, that's to your point about how <clears throat> this is... This is missing from so many different things. The the character that believes he's right, that's just not comedy. That's across the board right now in all yeah. forms of uh, film and television. It, you, as a viewer, can either relate, sympathize, empathize, or become infuriated with a character that believes they're right. And in this case, like you just laugh at how big of a doofus he is every time that the number grows. I think it's by the last count 17 at the end of the movie. He's yeah. He's just, that's that's my then, favorite gag. That's probably my favorite like quip gag when she's like, stop it. Tell, tell the, the truth. truth. And he's like, okay, 11. <laughs> and you know what? Because of, his, because of the pace of that scene, I actually believe like, yes, finally he's told the truth. And, and then, then she'd like, be like, no, he didn't do anything. I'm like, oh wait, that is right. Because he's, she's already told him that he hasn't done it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like, so I believed him when he said that is a great recurring gag. I, I love that kind of, rec- that, there's so many good little recurring gags. Like you have the, the, the falling off the horse kind of thing. Like you, you, yeah. you like the horse one. I like, yeah. Any time that he got kissed and it's like, dunk, 
there's lots of little fun things. When we did your World of MIDI episode, one thing I said was that even though the, there's some issues, the direction isn't one of them. And I think here, um, the direction's really good. It's not too standout-ish, but if you look at it correctly, he has his little moments of surreal flourishment, like, and then morning broke, and the and the, the font just explodes, and then <laughs> night fell. And I'm so, Go so happy you brought that up. That was good. I was going to say, I'm so happy you brought that up, because that was one thing that I specifically took note of was the the text overs there was the uh the then night fell and then the letters fall down on the screen and then day broke and then uh at the end of course when help. it's that huge uh wide shot of the tree with help and the the letters <laughs> yeah. are like jumping like on a uh seismograph or something it's great and yeah. it's just the right amount of silliness for me son of pale face takes it cranks it up to 11 with zaniness this one hasn't just enough and then when you have serious tense moments like when he's breaking into the undertakers you have dramatic lighting tense music you have setups and payoffs like you've seen the cat already introduced and then it comes into the room and like these little things that are just setting up this building tension even though it's a comedic scene there's still genuine building of tension in the scene which in a lot of comedy movies they just probably wouldn't do nowadays this is yeah. like we don't need to do that we don't need to actually worry about bob hope getting in trouble we don't need to worry about him not being a coward it's just guy like can we make him make a di dick joke that's kind of comedy now like that's like hey can we get zach efron and the rock to make a, a dick and balls joke instead of actual character um you know there's a lot of interesting direction choices here that could go unnoticed it looks like you know yes it looks it's in a studio there's obviously technical issues that you just have to brush aside because this is a film from 1948 on a somewhat low budget until yeah. blazing saddles this was the highest grossing uh comedy western yeah the trivia point that i read called it a parody it is because it's a yeah. satire parody on the virginian um loosely mm. it even got remade this movie into the shakiest gun in the west with don knotts which mm. is not good uh <laughs> Yeah, it's not good. That movie focuses more on instead of him being a coward, it's just him is nervous, and that's less interesting. And you said everyone hates him for some And everyone's reason? really yeah. mean he's, to he's Don Knotts. Everyone's really mean to him. On this movie, no one's mean to Bob Hope necessarily. He just gets in real life or death situations. Um, he's a fraud. He's a fraud without knowing it. Yeah. That's that's the yeah. nugget of joy in this for me that really rings true. It's like he is unaware of his situation and yet he's going to go through with it because he thinks there's a great line in movies like this in movies in general i always love a line or a character beat an action or inaction that just you can look at and go this defines the character here and early on in the movie he has that one line where he goes i'm gonna head back east back east where men may not be men but they're certainly not corpses and i don't want to be that either and that's just like <laughs> that's who he is that's exactly the kind of guy he is at this moment. He's a guy who does not want to be dead. And then later, he he dresses, you know, he 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 fights the medicine man, goes back into a, a sure death scenario to 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 actually do the right thing, which he wouldn't have done at the beginning when he ran away from the town like a coward. Mm. It's these little things that you go. Remember when comedy movies had scripts? Even though he's ad libbing, remember when they had arcs and development and three acts. <laughs> Man, I miss it. Uh, Bartek, what were some issues with this movie that you had? If any. 
because I do have some issues, like I said, technical ones. Mm. There are some gags that obviously just don't work as strongly, or there's like a translation of time that isn't there necessarily, or the villains, there are none, which I feel like you, I, I toss and turn on. Like sometimes I'm like, I wish there was a, a central antagonist in this movie that they could spar against. I, mean, I guess the film would argue that those two guys who you see occasionally are the Well, villains. there's three technically. You have Big Joe, who has a shootout with him in the town. Mm. He's an antagonist for like one act of the movie. Then you have the guy painting on the wall. <laughs> And then you have like those two guys and on the wagon train. That's well, kind of it. Considering that at the very and beginning the of the film, oh, and the Native <laughs> Americans, but they're more of a they're more of a reactionary antagonism more than a like a we are pursuing him on purpose. They're more like he's in our camp. Yeah, yeah but I'm I'm just saying I would argue because the yeah, very first true. scene of the film is Calamity Jane being told like her mission. It's like there are some people giving weapons to other people. Uh, mm. find out who they are and stop them and we find out these two guys are the people so mm. and they're you know they're after the heroes so i would say they're antagonists um i honestly they're pretty forgettable though yeah that's my point like yeah. i find them forgettable but at the same time like bartek's saying <laughs> it doesn't matter you don't really need an antagonist but we're used to these things so you kind of want something there but at the same time do you need it not really but it would be nice if there was something there yeah um, honestly, yeah, not too many issues. Maybe just some sequences going on a bit too long. Like earlier on, Julio was saying that he he preferred uh, Bob Hope before he was super confident. <laughs> and uh, in the in the scene where you know he's dressed up as a cowboy and he's like being a hero and stuff, there are a lot of funny stuff there. But I feel like, and I guess this does go with the confidence thing, but it goes on for maybe a little bit too long. Are you talking about the sequence too, where they're doing the shootout? I, I love that sequence. Oh, the shootout, the shootout's great, but I mean like... The we... whole not finding each other, but so close to each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like maybe it goes a little bit too long, but honestly, it's it's nothing I'd be, you know, complaining about. Yeah, just yeah. generally solid film. Like I said, my problems with this movie fall to just things that you... Uh, either don't really need and we're more accustomed to like we need you could argue this should have more primary antagonists that actually have personality or matter at the same time i don't think you really need to uh it just doesn't feel like there's a place necessarily that we need to have this we don't need that villain painting on the wall to be like a mustache twirling antagonist that is prominent we just need him to be in that one scene where he's like okay get joe onto him and that's kind of it like we don't need much more uh, I feel like obviously there's a technical issues that like obviously you know there's like the line on the screen when the arrow comes to hit the the tree there's all these things that kind of give away like when they're gonna do practical effects but that's like <laughs> oh you mean like markers and stuff yeah, yeah but that's fine because this is from 1948 I'm not expecting c- CGI woos I'm just saying 19- like, these are things that you just go okay there's gonna be some technical things that aren't up to up to snuff. You just have to accept that or you just can't. Because there are some people who just can't accept old movies. Like one of our friends who studied film just says, I cannot watch movies that are in black and white. And I'm like, why did you study film? But <laughs> some people have their preferences. <laughs> I was going yeah, to say, for an old film, the things that they were doing with the text, like the, and then night fell and the help thing, like I actually was like, whoa, I didn't know that would be possible back in 48. Yeah, and it's... From a technical perspective, the um, the... One shot that really surprised me was when they jump off their horses uh, on that, there's like that stack of logs, yeah. and they're laying down to keep away from everybody, and it's clearly um, rear projection, like a 
yeah exactly but they're doing the thing where like the leaves are blowing by him and everything to the point where it looks really good and especially when you put your mind in like holy shit this is before my parents were born and this is looking really <laughs> impressive right now yeah and uh you know there's there's yeah i think there's fun stuff like that you know like i love seeing matte paintings just like them and there's like hey look that sky's not real but like it at least feels real. Oh yeah, so it was only really at the end of the film that I actually acknowledged, hey, this is these are sets. There's something more charming to me about someone standing in a sound studio that's made to look like a field with sky in the background than someone in a green screen room where they have that weird like halo effect around their hair and you just know that it's god me and julio got into like an ar- a serious <laughs> argument about this on one of our last podcasts <laughs> who's right me also yeah on green screens you don't really see where they're standing as much so you guys have some issues with exactly yeah you guys know what we up. know what's up you guys obviously have some issues with this movie talk us through what they are uh alex do you have any serious issues the issues I could like speak to and say that I have are things that are coming through a 2019 mindset. So you talk about the Native American depiction? No, not necessarily. <laughs> well, there's that, but even that, it's not like they. It wasn't highly offensive. It wasn't like there's my, there's a rationale behind context. it. Well, yeah, but, but it see, also wasn't like it wasn't the like to the umpteenth degree of them like walking around like scalping people and stuff like that. It, it, that's the least of my worries for this because it wasn't anything that I could point to and be like, "Good, be afraid to show this to a friend of mine." <laughs> no, my issues with the movie are are more in line with if I could call them issues are just things that. It, it doesn't really matter for that time frame. Like the story progresses kind of fast in some parts. Like you mentioned, the their love story is kind of wonky to say. But even then, I I take solace in some things of like Jane being a badass, which wasn't necessarily par for the course back then. Yeah. And so there are things like storytelling mechanisms that were just of the time. And the only reason my brain computes them as issues is because I'm watching it through the lens of someone who's watching a movie in 2019. But for, you know, for the time frame, it, for all of its potential flaws and failings and whatnot, it still finds a way to silver line those. Yeah. See, I had more of an issue with the, with the whole like native American subplot. And uh, I think that part of it is just, uh, I mean, it's, the movie is of its time in that sense, and that's, I mean, that's fine, you know, but I, it, it, it's funny because uh, you haven't watched, Alex, you haven't watched the Coen Brothers movie on Netflix, the Ballad Buster Scruggs. I have not. I, have you guys watched it? I have. Uh, Ryan? I've, I want Martek. to. I have seen it, yes. So, yeah, I mean, there's not going to spoil, like, anything, but one of the stories, uh, it features, like, uh, uh Actually, probably like two of them, Native Americans, just as the enemy, sort of, right? But they're more depicted more of like a force of nature, you know. Yeah. And, and it, it it's not. I mean, it, there's comedy in it, but there's nothing comedic about the fact that they're a threat. And but I remember seeing online like kind of a little bit of an outrage and people saying like, "Man, it's the year 2018, and we're still depicting Native Americans as savages and whatever." And I was like, "Okay, you guys are overreacting. You know, it's a parody of a Western." And it, that's kind of like, you know, in a Western, mm-hmm. Native Americans are the enemy. And really, you know, I imagine if you were living back then, you saw them like this, you know? So yeah. at that time, I remember thinking that was another reaction. But then now I'm watching this movie, and one of the big set pieces is this this white guy killing, or well, thinking that he's killing a bunch of Native Americans. And 
I was feeling I was conflicted about the fact that I was laughing about it. Well, he does it by accident, (laughs) but he does it by accident, though. He doesn't fully realize that he's trailing gunpowder through their whole entire base. Oh, I was talking about the all the shootings. Yeah, where he where he kills. Yeah, where he becomes a hero, right? Right, but yeah, (laughs) with fifteen million. Right, right, right. right. So there was a part of the back of my brain that was just saying, like, okay, this movie just made a a comedic set piece out of the fact that you know there's a bunch of Native Americans getting slaughtered. My argument to be that would be that it's not funny because they're Native Americans. It's funny because he's an idiot. Yeah, it's just. Right, yeah. right, right, right. I, see, that was like the front of my brain was saying that, but the back of my brain, because we're like now at a position in, in you know, it's like it couldn't be helped back then mm. that they was that they happened to use, you know, Native Americans because of the genre and everything else. But right now, if you were making this movie today, you wouldn't make that choice, you know, because yeah. it's kind of a, it's it's like a trigger. It's like a special button that you know you and probably shouldn't push anymore. It's a trope too. Like it's been done so many times in the Western genre that it's kind of like yeah, we get it. Like we get it maybe have a fresh take on it the thing yeah. about it was with this I, I i was thinking about this the thing about it is this movie i wouldn't say it, it, it itself is racist it features bigotry and racism because this is a a, a period piece movie mm. it would be inaccurate to have no racism towards these people from the white characters the fact is a lot of the things that are going on in this movie with white people trading weapons to them and causing, you know, stirs, that happened. They're using that. And of course, this obviously has to accommodate the fact this is a parody of a well-known Western, which is this is the storyline of. But I also think that, one, all the Native Americans are played by Native Americans, which was not as common in the 1940s. Usually they got Italians and Jews yeah. to play them. You don't have oh. anyone doing over-the-top performances of the Native Americans. Like, the chief, he's yep. pretty understated considering what we're expecting. The They're, I think, more of a force of nature, reactionary type thing. They're just a plot element, which you could say is, you know, problematic or troublesome. But, again, do you want a 1940s movie to really delve deep into the Native American aspect, <laughs> right? <laughs> Considering Bob Hope movies, yeah. Oh no, no, that's why I don't fault the movie for it. But, but you know, the fact that we're watching in 2019, it's just the kind of thing that it sparks. Isn't like, wow. But you know, that's w- what it was like back inherent. then. Yeah, I just don't it's think just you know. There's happen. anything. I don't. I I get what you're saying. It's just for me. It's just like there's nothing really here that is that troublesome like you could say him dressed up as the medicine man but the film does a whole thing about him having to go do that and the fact is the irony is they want to kill the medicine man they don't want him back there so there's that irony there too and he's not bob hope isn't being overly cartoonishly he's just kind of trying to like get his way through and kind of slip in buttons and bows and hubby hubby and all that and that's kind of like and then they want to burn him and with, with there's the, nothing too overtly racist in this movie it's just this is what the the west was yeah that that's kind of what i'm trying to yeah s- and if i could uh, oh no now we have to fight over who talks it will be me i win so. <laughs> no uh, no I, i'm the guest here i, I don't want to stop any toes bartek go All for right, it yeah. well, i was basically gonna say what ryan said in a different way this uh, i didn't find it as troubling i guess simply because I I just associate Westerns with, oh, that's the period where people shot each other at bars or outside bars and no one really cared. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. all, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
what I was going to say to kind of tie it into the beginning of the podcast, because uh, it, it's fresh on my mind, uh, Angry Boys and Chris Lilly's portrayal of the rapper Smouse and playing blackface on that show. Mm-hmm. That is something I watch and I go, Ew, yeah, this isn't this isn't that good. It's divisive. At no point in this movie. Exactly. At no point in this movie did I say, oh, man, this is really messed up. This this shouldn't be happening. It's just one of those things I think especially now you're so inclined to immediately assume something's offensive if they have the native american on screen with you know the big headdress and yeah. the, the face paint and everything but it, exactly to what you were saying Ryan they the story isn't to make fun of them for being native americans it's just the fact that these native americans are here and it's part of the story yeah i mean i think that my what happened to me was not that i never felt that the movie was making fun of the of native americans it was just that the fact that they had that that comedic set piece set around sort of, you know, and I know it's, it's me overthinking it, but you know, I, it couldn't be helped. Like it's set around a native American massacre. <laughs> yeah. you know what I but mean? of course That's the, just like... the film has to go out of its way to one. They, the, the one, they started it. It's not like Bob Hope started attacking them. Out that of made nowhere. me laugh. Yeah. That, that's a great line. Yeah. Uh, the great line. Yeah. And like, like Alex said before, the, the scene obviously is revolving around how much of an idiot Bob Hope is. He even has that great line of, oh, oh, how brilliant. A thousand, a thousand Indians versus one coward. And just like dives into a barrel <laughs> and, and just. And he also has the, the line of, uh, he cocks the gun. I hope this is loaded. I, I wish I, I was. was too. <laughs> that whole sequence I actually did at university from the shaving to that, the end I did at university for film studies of a breakdown of a, of a, of a scene and my, uh, we had to watch the scene, and then I had to hand in the essay. And I, we watched the scene. Everyone found it really funny. Well, everyone found it hilarious. And the film teacher guy was like, "Are you sure?" He was kind of like, "Are you sure?" Just a kind of. He was basically saying, "Are you sure a bland 1940s comedy that's not shot with any extraordinary things can be worth a film essay?" And then I gave him, oh, and then wow. I g- wow. said, "Film too, young guy, young oh, guy." Young guy. So okay. then I handed my essay, and I got uh, like 94 out of 100 for that. And I'm like, "Yeah, you're right, I can," because <laughs> there's so much nuances to just that scene and a lot of scene. Like you said, this is a pleasant movie. There's chuckles all the th- way through. There's a lot of belly laughs. Here's the thing I can say: a lot of modern comedies. I don't get a chuckle out of them, let alone a belly laugh. I've seen quite a few movies this year, and the one that made me laugh the most was Parasite. And that movie isn't an out-and-out comedy. That movie's great. It is great. No, I'm not saying, but, like, the one that isn't an out-and-out comedy has made me laugh more than comedy movies of Mm -hmm. the last, like, five, ten years. There's obviously there's exceptions to the rules, and usually those ones are ones where they have scripts. I've noticed, uh, like, whenever, was it, Lord and Miller are working on a movie, the guys who did 21 Jump Street and Lego Movie and all that, Mm -hmm. and Spider-Verse, I get laughs because, oh, look, there's a written joke here. Maybe I'm just used to wanting written jokes and not saying I don't like improvised comedy. There's a lot of Will Ferrell stuff I have liked, like, I like Anchorman. But in those movies, they still have character arcs. Ron Burgundy learns not to be such a misogynistic asshole to a certain degree. But what does he learn in Daddy's Home? That 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 he should uh, get on with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> That's it. To... Semi Pro is my favorite Will Ferrell movie, and I think it's because it's the most tightly scripted. It's yeah. the most tightly structured. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of like kept on the background. Yeah, for a lot of it, I think. But yeah, I, go on. You really had me thinking there. I I was about to say you've really got me going now. I'm trying to think of the last comedy I genuinely enjoyed, and I'm 
I was going to say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but that wasn't meant to be a comedy. <laughs> com- comedic moments, but yeah, oh, like, yeah, yeah. I can't, like, there's obviously some there, like, I find stuff like The Lobster and Swiss Army Man really funny, uh, but those are weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, in mainstream comedy movie, I always point to a few that I go, these are ones that I point to and go, yep, those are great. Galaxy Quest, Planet Trans Automobiles, Bowfinger... You know, a few others, and it's just like those are your standard Hollywood fair comedy movies that are actually funny. That I find like this is this is what I want from standard comedy. When it comes to the pale face, my biggest criticism is it's called the pale face and not just pale face. I think pale face is just better. I've always called it pale face, and then it's like the pale face. Then the sequel goes son of pale face, not son of the pale face. And, and I'm these- like, it just throws me off to say the or the pale face. It always feels like it doesn't flow as nicely as just pale face for the it's yeah. like for the past five years it's th- like facebook just drop the the <laughs> drop the, the. the facebook <laughs> you're saying Bartek? Yeah, for the past five years for some reason i thought it was called old pale face i have no idea no i think it's is. just because it's old <laughs> it's an old movie <laughs> Ryan, that movie you let me was old um yes um anything else we want to mention about this movie there's a lot of stuff that there's one there. there's one scene that i especially like that we haven't talked about yet it was the the wedding scene oh you mean the static shot of their hands yeah. and how that is funnier than anything will Ferrell has done in the last 10 years oh that is great I really enjoyed that scene. It felt very. It felt like the experimental scene of the film because yeah, it was more about like the lines and what's happening on the not face area. I guess. What cracks me about that scene Just is how big of a doofus he is. What cracks me about that scene is each dumb thing has some internal logic of why he would do that, even though it's dumb. Like you may now kiss, and he kisses him. That's a <laughs> capper. But one that cracks me up is when <laughs> you see the old priest's hand wanting the ring and he has the ring and he puts it in his vest and grabs out his pocket watch and gives him his pocket watch and it's like the eternal logic of that one is freaking loose as shit and it instantly cracks me i just i lose it every time because it's like what was his thought process there like he wants to know the time he's obviously like he's like the ring and he's like using his hand to gesture and he gives him his pocket watch instead and you're like why you're an idiot but i love him he's just so adorably dumb but also the right amount of cunning and cowardly (laughs) i think a lot of comedy movies today are afraid of having just a coward as your lead like people like chevy chase would bank on their character's ignorant cowardice as the thing that propels it i don't know like caddyshack caddyshack but that was you know back in the day but like nowadays i'm like trying to think of comedic actors who are just good at like an a-grade comedic actors not like you're like character actor ones but like big ones that are just banking on that they're cowards and it's weird to say that when george clooney does comedies that's what he does like in hail caesar and and it's weird yeah he plays kind of a schmuck he's not a comedic actor you would say he's an actor actor he's a he's just a regular actor you brought up steve carell before we started recording i think steve carell Maybe sometimes, but more he's just pathetic or back in the day when he did stuff like 40-Year-Old Virgin. But that's it. Like, I kind of miss this. Like, obviously, I miss this kind of comedy. I wish a lot more movies could just make me chuckle. Bob Hope's cracking so many jokes that I could not keep writing notes because if I did, it would just be the whole entire script. Uh, it would just be every line he spoke <laughs> in this movie. There wasn't everything he said just, like... There's this one bit where he's at the dentist's office, yeah, and the cowboy puts his hat over his mouth and he starts to drill inside the hat and he's like, yeah, eh, and he smacks it down. Or when he's 
with the first client <laughs> or when he's with the cowboy and he opens his mouth and he says, hello, and then hello comes out of the guy's mouth. It's like, oh my God, there's an echo in here. It's like, why is that there? Because it's funny. There's also the echo when he was up in the tree at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, any other comedy things or things you guys want to talk about about the pale face? I was just going to say, to kind of add on, not necessarily about pale face, uh, just to kind of add on about a modern approach to it. And like you said about, uh, if I wrote down everything that was funny, I would just regurgitate the entire script. I can't speak to the cowardice thing or the, you know, casting a character that is a coward, but I think the closest we come to things like this in a modern era are things written by Tina Fey, where it seems like everything is just funny consistently like 30 rock and kimmy schmidt are both prime examples but those are tv shows not movies her movies aren't as funny for me that's a very 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 fair point i was just about to say what you just said about if i wrote down everything that was the first thing that came to mind yeah uh completely agree with her movies that the tv shows are where it shines um Um, i don't know that I, i i know you know it's not like woody allen qualifies as like modern comedy anymore but He's generally his characters are cowards. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so you have that. I mean, they're intellectual cowards, but they're still yeah. Cowards. I find more they're selfish, more so than cowards a lot of the times. I guess it's also different because Woody Allen puts his characters more in situational comedy modes of like he's a dinner table and Christopher Walken's here, while like this is like, <laughs> while this is like let's chuck Bob Hope in an old western or let's chuck bob hope in a pirate epic or let's chuck bob hope in zanzibar like these are like weird things it's like let's chuck this random person it's like how will ferrell's job now is which career we can give him we've given him race car driver we've given (laughs) when's he gonna do astronaut you know like we've given him darren from bewitched we've given him all (laughs) the jobs he can do all right, let's let's watch our tone about the Bewitched movie because that was a we good did one, it on but, we uh, did it on our show. Thank you. I appreciate my pieces. Um, you need to listen to it because we have a mental breakdown as to what Steve Carell is <laughs> in that movie because it makes no sense. We, we had the in. whole film perfectly <laughs> mapped out, but there was just one mystery. Yeah. One mystery, but that's for another time. <laughs> Anything else, you guys, want to bring up? Any funny moments or issues? Um, I, I'm actually surprised that uh, we we haven't uh, mentioned the the whole the mix up. The Three's Company mix-up uh, sequence where he thinks that the there's like a big Native American that's infiltrated his that's amazing his oh, yeah, his yeah. hotel room or whatever the and cabin. You know, he thinks that's Jane Russell yeah the cabin yeah the cabin and it's just like, but he whacks I, him on the back of the head I, so he buys it completely. I know I kept waiting for the big reveal where he was gonna notice and the scene kept going and going and going and it was like I can't believe that they're managing to to keep this misunderstanding going for so long it was it was great and then. He actually kisses a dude, right? I yeah. was not expecting that on a 1947, 1948 uh, movie. It was an interracial kiss on screen, huh? So, uh, yeah, and I also yeah. love the gag, too, of the, the Native American had intoxicated on laughing gas. So he had that. And he, and he never knew what it was. And his giggle. Yeah. His giggle is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah, that, I love, my mum loves this line the most. It's as like, oh, darling, you must be, you must be chilly. You're, you're, you're blushing all the way down to your little tootsies. <laughs> and it's just like, how dumb can you be? Oh, my God, you put your hair up in braids. And it's like, you are such an idiot. And I love the capper to that is not just him getting knocked out. Jane Russell, the next morning, coming in, having left him. And she's like, and he's reacting to her. Like, I had this amazing night with you. And she's like, he is crazy. I don't know what the hell he's thinking of. Yeah, that, that scene is... I could see people getting divisive about that. But again, it's like, 
what's the divisive thing of oh there's a native american in this comedy scene like yeah like the scene is about bob hope being an idiot yeah like oh how when convenient he's closing his when eyes when there's a genuine threat right next to him like this is a scout coming in to scout them out and then come attack them later in the morning and he is just lapping up in the joyousness of the humor of the scene and i love also the guy who played that character when he starts like groping his like upper arms like oh those little dresses they sure do hide the muscles he like just slaps him he's like how dare you touch me <laughs> like he's like i'm really offended but then also when he starts playing with his braids and he can kind of understand that he's being complimented he's also like oh okay like he's kind of getting like overwhelmed with the compliments <laughs> and it's like this is a comedic performance here that like that guy could have just been i'm a serious native american guy but he the, the laughing gas the the not liking being touched but also loving the affection and it's all great. Yeah, I can't believe we almost skipped over that scene. That's a uh, spicy meatball of a scene. You alluded to it earlier, but yeah. I did allude to it earlier. Anything else? I think that's about it, isn't it? I mean, I could just keep going on about remember that scene and how yeah, great it was. Remember the walking bush, yeah. Can you... Oh, what, must be a Virginia creeper. <laughs> um, Again, that's the scene you talk about all the time. Yeah. Can you guys, before we wrap up and go to the plug zone, can either of you remember the pieces of advice he was given? To fight against Joe? Uh, if I remember, he pulls from his left, so lean to the yep. right, or is it back? That's it. Have you got, you nailed uh, it. Then there's... The wind. Uh, is it like the wind, right? And then the the one that's at the top, like he... Is it like he's taller, so you point up, or you shoot from the top? There's the, yeah. He crouches. Oh, I, he I crouches. Just, all I can see in my mind... Yeah, they... Right, so you shoot from the top. You stand on your toes... There's a wind from the east, so aim. It's, yeah, it's just ludicrous. I, so he's like, he ends up like walking like Gollum across the. <laughs> My favorite befuddled moment of that is when he starts mixing it up and he just goes, okay, so the sun is coming in from the east, so I better stand on the wind and shoot at his toes. And he was like, and he, and he goes, yeah, like he thinks that's yeah. the correct one. And just the, like, the punchlines are when like it doesn't make sense, like shoot the, with the toes or something. And aim at the wind, and <laughs> just, just yeah. I, and also the actual, the actual physical comedy of him when he actually does fire at Joe, and he has no idea what he's doing, and just does like a twirl and shoots the gun. And, and he falls straight air. down to the ground. Yeah. One little thing about Joe I really liked was when he went to the care t- uh, when he went Undertaker. to the Undertaker later, and he's talking to the dead body, who we find out is Joe. About like, oh my god, they got dynamite, <laughs> and he looks at it, and it's like Joe, and he's like. Fool! What an idiot! I've nailed this. Also, just before the fight, the Undertaker smile like, "Oh, he's gonna win." Because he always wins. Yeah. The Undertaker always wins these things. Yeah, that's about it with the Pale Face. A surprisingly entertaining movie that I personally think still has a lot of merit and holds up quite well. I think, if anything, we've just explored that this is a damning indictment on modern comedy in films. Because if this <laughs> film in which Bob Hope is just slinging out one-liners that are still funny or comedic set pieces of physical comedy that doesn't really lean too heavy into slapstick, like the dentist scene isn't slapstick, that's just physical comedy mayhem, that we just can't get in modern movies, what does that say? Like, I don't know. Like I feel like a lot of other genres are doing really well, but then it's like comedy is like in the toilet a lot of the time, like mainstream Hollywood comedy movies. There's still great comedies out there that are more like your your more hidden movies that you actually have to go search for that get no attention. 
But what I'm saying is, uh, you know, Jonah Hill, come on, man. Pick up your game. Be funny. That's all I'm saying. Remake the pale face. With Jonah Hill. Man, Jonah Hill, I don't know. He could do it. He's a smart mouth, but mm. is he a, he's not cowardly he's, enough. He's great. He's fallen into that that exact same position you've just been talking about this entire time. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, I think all the things you've described, I keep finding myself right now mad that Robert Downey Jr. became Iron Man because I think he could have been a perfect, like, <laughs> cowardice, comedic actor for a new generation. Like in Heart like and Souls? Tropic Thunder. Oh, I, I, saw, I thought of Heart and Souls, the more sad comedy in which he's also a coward. He's too afraid. No, that's, a, that's a really good call, too. It's, yeah, it, it, for, I don't know why. He's just been on my mind when we keep describing this as well, someone, Alex, a modern actor that can he's do Dr. that. He's Dr. Doolittle. Yeah, I was going to say, so he's well, Dr. He can, Doolittle. He can slide back into that. He's Dr. Doolittle now. He's... He's too far gone. <laughs> he's too he he's too beyond. Well, before we get into the plug zone, I'm gonna give a fun little trivia fact about uh Bob Hope. He this Oscar that he got for like performing this song of Buttons and Bows was the closest he ever got to getting an actual Oscar because he was he yep. he did two dramatic performances that uh if you're into Amer- if you're into American film history, Seven Little Foys and uh Bo James uh, people still are angry that he didn't get an Oscar nomination or win simply because he was a comedian. Uh, he hosted mm-hmm. the Oscars the most. Still hasn't been defeated. He hosted like I don't know, like twenty four times or something. Ludicrous. And this movie is the closest he ever actually got to getting an actual Oscar, and it's a song, not on his acting or comedy and or, it probably or went, anything. And it probably went to the writers of the song, right? Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. So, fun, sad, interesting little fact. And his last <laughs> movie was Spies Like Us with Chevy Chase. There you go. And his last TV thing was The Simpsons. Let's not forget, he was in The Simpsons. Uh, so... Yes, I'm I, glad you brought that up, because I was going to plug it if you didn't. They, he introduces the troops to Little Miss Springfield, and one of the troops goes, Little Miss Springfield! <laughs> Well, we're going to take it into the plug zone for another brilliant podcast. So, Bartek, are you ready? Wait. Let me just... Okay, he's adjusting now I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Hey, guys, it's Kyle. And Nick. And we're from Dem Fancy Dinosaurs, a weekly comedy podcast revolving around movies, TV shows, and pop culture. We release a new episode every Thursday. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts? Why did you say that like a question? I don't know. Okay, anyway, yes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any of the podcatchers. Or you can look up www.demfancydinosaurs.com. Thanks, guys. Stay fancy and enjoy the rest of the show. Well, that was wonderful. Bartek, you can be unready now. You can untuck your shirt. You can put your... You can put your... <laughs> you can put your penis back in your pants. Well, it's soft now. It's, so. uh, <laughs> it's soft now. Um, thank you guys for joining us on this discussion. I was really worried at the beginning when it was like, oh, Julio's seething. And I'm like, man, last time I recommended a movie I really liked was <laughs> Falling Down. And that whole episode was me having to defend the merits of Falling Down against like people were like, well, you know, like, you don't get it, man. We, we live in America. We get it. I'm like, dude, dude, I understand. But this is a movie. Um, oh, Alex, you should you should listen to their episode of Falling Down. It's, no, I it, mean you it, should I watch Falling was, Down. I think I told you on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Well, Falling oh, Down is effing it. incredible. I yeah. I rewatched it uh, to before I listened to their episode, and as I rewatched, I don't know when was the last time you watched it, but there was I had a lot of like thoughts about it, and then their episode it's a very debate heavy. Uh, it's a very interesting conversation because 
well, because, you know, yeah, Ryan was, like, on the defense. And then the guests defense, yeah. were just, like, attacking it. And I was, like, and I was just, I was with them most of the time. I was, like, yeah, that was what I was thinking, too. Before they started, did he just do the uh, Bob Duvall? Let's go! <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you, guys. We actually had a, yeah, I was worried, like, oh, no, we're going to get into the, we have to talk about this movie not being good. But, in fact, everyone seemed to enjoy it, have a pleasant discussion. Oh, Hopefully, you guys... Yeah, how could you be mad about this movie? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it sucked, but, you know. If you guys do, if listening people, <laughs> you guys, Bartek, check out Son of Paleface. A lot more people like that one. Like, that's high rated and a lot of a lot of people like that one more than I do, so maybe a personal taste thing. It just has a few more of these Hollywood things or these things that I don't like too much. It's a little too absurd, but it is really funny at the same time. There's a gag in that that's lose. I lose my mind where they're in a car, an old-fashioned car with the big wheels, and the wheel spins off, and Bob Hope lassos the 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 I don't know the shaft the rod for the tire from inside the car and pulls it up from inside the car and they put <laughs> a, a wagon from like a carriage onto the wheel and he's like quickly quickly but but come come get it attached before physics realizes that this is impossible for me to do and it's like the absurdity <laughs> of that so check out Son of Powerfest I don't know if we'll cover it on the show how many how many men does he kiss in that one um he kisses a horse. So was it a male horse? Yes, okay, Trigger. That's worth three. The horse's name is Trigger. So, um, <laughs> because Roy Rogers, the singing cowboy, who we just talked about Buster Scruggs earlier. Buster Scruggs was very much inspired by uh, Roy Rogers, and Elton John even had a song about him. The singing cowboy. So, thank you guys for joining us. Give us some more info on your podcast, where we can find it, and where we can find you guys on the uh, social medias. Uh, we are... Uh... On every podcatcher, just search for The Contrarians. It'll be the the podcast that has the logo. It's a little red tomato looking in the mirror. Yeah, I thought it was it's a Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> Everyone I've showed it to are like, that's Jiminy Cricket, right? And I'm like, no, apparently. Well, I'm glad you're showing our logo around. I was around. about to say, don't let Disney find out about that. We'll be shut down pretty quick. Uh, Wearethecontrarians.com. Wearethecontrarians.com is our main website where you can download our episodes uh, find all our contact information. We're on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And our Facebook page is... Uh, Contrarian Prime also. Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Uh, and our email address is uh, Contrarian Prime at Gmail. No, we are the Contrarians at Gmail. You sure? <laughs> Thank you. You sure about that? We are the Contrarians <laughs> Prime. 99% <laughs> sure. Uh, could you tease tease our listening people with uh, some, some future movies you're going to be putting on your show? Can you uh, tease us? When, so, when is this dropping? Yeah, this is dropping in like a, come out? a week or two. About a week and a half from the recording date. Oh, so the most recent ones will be uh, the original Fly from 1958. Ooh, Vincent, with Price. Vincent Price. And, uh, That's right up right up your alley. Yeah. I, lo- I love it. <laughs> I, love, I love that movie. Well, uh, we're going to be dropping also in the near future a commentary track for uh, Wes Craven's new Nightmare. Oh, okay. and, yep. the- and, and we just recorded Adventureland incredible movie and uh that's, that's his contrarian <laughs> going view into the new- it's an incredible movie it's a contrarian <laughs> view okay i can't wait for him to give his real opinion oh no that's that's the the real monty that's right what he's there. saying and then going into the <laughs> going into the new year uh i very moronically and uh basically signed up for a bit of torture to catch up on the marvel universe and we'll be doing Endgame yeah. to bring in the new year i i know, heard so. about this endgame, and i've seen endgame is my pale i've face. seen i've seen uh <laughs> alex respond on twitter about his disdain for certain aspects that he's seen throughout the mcu 
My biggest complaint, my biggest yes. complaint is they have a list of all these essential movies and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is not on there and I think that's the one that No, seriously, I think that's the one out of all of them that actually gives a good setup and payoff for things in Infinity War with Thanos. That's all I'm saying. I think you're you're skipping out on that and and uh, there's a disagreement there. Well, I think that's all that's all. The problem all. is that time 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 is of the essence and so I had to like when I made the list for Alex, I had to just Give him the quality, because that's the other problem. I, I agree with you that plot-wise, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 has some stuff that pays off really well, but I don't think it's a very well-made movie. Ooh. And so if, if if I give him movies that, that oh, are not so even... Oh, so which of them are? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, excuse me. Excuse me. Ant-Man and the Wasp? Thank you. It had Michelle Pfeiffer in it, and I like her. I I love it, but I can't give it to Alex because, you know, he doesn't have time. I I just need to give him, like, the greatest hits, and then the rest he has hey, to Alex. go through Wikipedia. Alex, so just cut down on the WWE, it. and you could fit it in. Okay? Just cut down on the wrestling. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys very much for coming on. Now, Bartek and I are oh, getting yeah. into our celebration for our next episode is our 200th episode of our show. Wow. Of, of content we've pumped out. That includes all, the, all of them that we've done. And even the announcements, even the announcement, probably that's an episode <laughs> that goes for like an hour. So Fair enough. Bartek. Yes. It's a, it's a listening people's choice one, but since it's an, like since it's a milestone where we're overriding the people's choice and really we're not because the people are screaming, do a Paul Giamatti movie. It's been like since big, big mama's house since you did it. And you've only done four or three. Mm. Now you're going to do a fourth. We want Paul. We want Paul. That's what they're screaming out. That's all I'm hearing these days is Paul Giamatti needs to return. We are going to be doing, and it was a toss-up, Bartek, between a renowned Paul Giamatti movie and a renowned Paul Giamatti movie. We are doing the renowned <laughs> Paul Giamatti movie, Lady in the Water. Okay. M. Night Shyamalan's Lady in the Water with stuttering Paul himself, a bug Somebody's got to do Somebody's it. Somebody's got to do it. I had to do it to him, yeah. Uh, our other choice was sideways, and I thought, you know, here's the thing. With our show, we're always delving into the positives of of movies that have a lot of criticism towards them. And Lady in the Water, you know, we have to do it. If we're going to do 200, I think it would be a betrayal if we did what is considered to be a genuinely great movie. We should do one that's a divisive movie. There are people who like Lady in the Water, and everyone says, Paul Giamatti's great in it. And I haven't seen it. So, in other words, unappreciated masterpiece. It, we're doing an unappreciated masterpiece in the Pictures Power format next episode. That's so, good because we've already done sort of a mystery box in this format. So, make sure, listening people and uh, you contrarians, to watch Lady in the Water so you can be fully prepped on our well, 200th episode if discussion. Contrarians, they won't watch it then. Oh, okay. Or they will and they will hate it. Contrarian to what we want, which is to be appreciative <laughs> of something M. Knight did. After he made Unbreakable. Well, Stuart Little. Uh, oh, Stuart Little, he wrote. Uh, the biggest twist. Uh, listening people, make sure to check out The Contrarians. Like they said, we'll have the information in our description. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just find, look up Spit and Polish Presents. You'll find us pretty easy. We are on all the pod catches or platforming sites available as well, except for SoundCloud. We don't... We don't do that filthy thing. And <laughs> we don't we don't have a website because we don't need one. But maybe one day, if we do, the background will just be the same image of Paul Giamatti's eyes. 
bug it out. Also, that would be it. Also, Google top Polish podcasts just for fun because we're, we're in the top reason. ten Polish podcasts. Are you guys? <laughs> Didn't think so. So <laughs> take that down a peg. You can email us. God bless. I'll go on. You wanna you wanna come back? Wrestling. Oh, I just I just said God, God bless. bless. God bless. What's that in Polish, Bartek? Um, let's see. What's God? Uh, Boże. Boże. <laughs> Sounds like a like a, 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 a stew. I've had some nice brozze here. No, Boże. Boże. Boże sounds you know, like a like, shoe brand now. And also, of course, there's like the reaction like, oh, Boże. Oh, Boże. So make sure to check out that. <laughs> Our email address is spitandpolished at gmail.com. Email us through your opinions on movies, your death threats, um, recommendations for movies, because they all we've, got got a, list. we've got a list. You, as you heard earlier, I'm afraid of some of them. Dunkachino! <laughs> so much that the next recommendation is one that you picked out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, it's our anniversary, dude. Yeah. So, until next time, listening people, remember that East is East and West is West and the wrong road I have chose. See, I have a singing career now, Bartek. Where's my Oscar? Yeah, but I have a soft dick because so, we said that earlier. <laughs> <laughs>